Welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. The Mentor of the Month program has been part of Crown Council since the very beginning. We believe that in order to copy the genius of others, you've got to be willing to ask. So in this episode, we spend about 30 minutes with best-selling author Joseph Grenny. This program is just one of many resources available to Crown Council members to help their teams build a culture of success. More information about joining the Crown Council can be found at crowncouncil.org. We hope you enjoy our Mentor of the Month with Joseph Grenny. Uh, Stuart Anderson and Greg Anderson and Joseph Grenny here with um, at the Other Side Academy in Salt Lake City, which is interesting and different. Usually we're over a telephone call, so the three of us are sitting together. Joseph joined us at the 21st annual event in Salt Lake City that you might have remembered as a main stage presenter. Uh, he's a four-time New York Times best-selling author. And if you've seen any of his work with Vital Smarts, his company online, you'll know how dynamic he is as a keynote speaker. So I'm grateful to be together with Joseph and also Greg. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, Joseph, will you just start and introduce what you do for a living? Hmm. What oh. you spend your time doing? Well, it's going to make everyone listening quit their job and want to do what I do. <laughs> so, you know, my, my interest is human behavior, what behaviors matter and how you help people change them. And I don't, I don't think there's a more interesting thing in the world. So helping pe- people figure out what they're doing that affects results they care about and why they're doing it and then how to help themselves change in, in the most important ways that will affect the strength of their relationships, the productivity of their businesses, uh, the strength of their teams. Uh, that's what I get to do every day of the week. The, and I feel, and maybe Joseph will correct me, but the neatest part about his company um, is that as a mission, as a goal, Vital Smarts believes that they're not here to just change businesses. I mean, your overall goal is to literally change the world's behavior when it comes to interacting. Is that, yeah, is that true? I feel blessed and lucky. So I spent uh, uh, the last two weeks in China and Thailand and, and sitting in, in groups, not just lecturing at times, but hearing people talk about our work in their language and applying it to their problems and seeing the, the magnitude of the ripples uh, that this little Provo company has created is, is just incredibly gratifying. Can you talk about maybe how it started and what you did and the history of, the, of Vital Smarts? Sure. Like many of us, our life began in a white Volkswagen van. Um, and uh, there, there were four of us in this one. And uh, Sorry about that. The, uh, uh, we, we were all kind of looking down the path of our careers and saying, how could we make the biggest difference in the world? And it turned out all of us really had the same interest. We all had this deep suspicion that social science has answers that would help solve a lot of humanity's challenges. Social science is basically about the two questions we just described. It, it's really the study of why people do this and how to help them do that. And, uh, and we really felt like there's some tools and ideas, some concepts and theories that the problem is they're sort of on these dry, dusty shelves and the people who need them the most, the moms and dads, the business owners, the dentists, the, the political leaders, the, the people whose job it is to influence behavior have no access to this. And so what we wanted to do was solve that market problem, to make accessible some of these really life and organization changing ideas to the people in positions to use them best. Very cool. And um, as, I've, as I've watched your company grow, as you, all the different books that you've written, especially even the changes that, have, that you guys have had since being at the annual event, what, three years ago? Was that three years Almost ago? Four. It is just so inspiring to see um, the, the messages that you're sharing. 
Um, could you, one message that I, that I attach to, and it's maybe, I've heard that it's because uh, often the stuff you attach to is the stuff you need to work on most. Sure. Uh, is the critical or crucial conversations. It's uh, one of your books. And I'd love to spend time talking about that, the, the principles behind what a, a crucial conversation is, when they happen, why they happen, and, and then maybe how we can improve them. Mm. Could you introduce to us what, what it is, what is a crucial conversation, and why they're important? Yeah, so when we, when we started Vital Smarts 30 years ago, uh, one of the things that we did commonly was to go into organizations and try to identify what we called vital behaviors. What are, what are some of the vital behaviors that, that are most necessary to improve performance and results? We try to look at, are there a few behaviors that are causing most of the problems today? And so we'd go to a software development group and say, well, why can you never get anything out on time, on budget, on spec? But it turned out it wasn't because they were dumb. It wasn't because these people just didn't know how to do software. It was because they were not individually dumb, they were collectively dumb. <laughs> that that they, would, they would get their part of the tasks done, but when it got to getting together to say, how are we doing? Nobody could tell the truth. Nobody could confront problems. When people weren't delivering what they were supposed to, they wouldn't address it. And so all these unspoken things started creating just masses of mischief in the organization, mistrust and conflict and backbiting. And, and so we saw this in software development and we said, oh boy, if you could just get people to be honest in these moments when it's emotionally and politically risky, it would change everything. And you know what it did? We worked on that, we tried to train and support and influence that behavior and things started getting shipped on time, on budget, on spec and, and we thought, well that was really cool. And then we went to a hospital and we said, boy, you got problems with the patient experience, we got problems here with safety. I wonder what the vital behaviors are. And son of a gun if it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't that you have dumb nurses and dumb doctors or dumb techs. It was that collectively they couldn't talk about problems with each other. When a doctor's about to make a mistake, a nurse says nothing. When a tech sees another tech doing something that they shouldn't or being insensitive to a patient, nobody addresses it. So 30 years of research I can boil down to one sentence, Stuart. You want to make it a short podcast? Yep. <laughs> Here you go. What we found is that the health of a relationship, the health of a team, the health of an organization comes down to one simple thing. And that is the average lag time between when people say it and when they see it, when they see it and when they say it, between when they feel it and when they discuss it, between when they experience it and when they express it. That lag time, the lag time between when you know there's a problem and you probably ought to tell it to somebody, or you feel some concern with how they're behaving or whatever, and when that actually gets discussed in a quality way, that is where all the problems happen. And if you can shorten that lag time, if you can just create a culture where we do it in half the time, instead of in a week, it happens in a day, you know, or it happens in an hour. We address it quickly, trust improves, connection improves. What we know is that the key to organizational health is just truth and love. It's, it's a context of love where we truly care about each other, but one where there's uncompromising commitment to truth. And if people need to hear it or need to say it, it comes out as fast as possible. I remember um, a thing where you said truth, connection, and love. Yeah. But then you said the opposite of those are often... Suffering. Yeah, the opposite are the... Those are always the problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, the three things all of us crave in life, in fact, all lasting happiness in life is about truth, love, and connection. Connection is the consequence of those. You have no real connection unless there's love, of course. We all know that. But we all have this kind of weak definition of love. 
that it means permission or it means putting up with or it doesn't. It means commitment in the relationship, but it doesn't compromise the second attribute which creates real connection, which is truth. Which is, if it's going on inside of you, Stuart, I want you to be able to be transparent and open about it. Some of that is about you, some of it's about me, but it still needs to come out. And, uh, and I have to do the same. And then we've all experienced this. What flows from that is a real authentic feeling of connection, an authentic feeling of intimacy. And there's nothing more joyful and wonderful than that. And there's nothing more, more false and, uh, uh, and, and, and inadequate than, than a lack of it. Yeah. We, we often teach our doctors that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is just ignoring not being connected, just disregarding the person, not saying anything, you know, like just that. not not hating them, just yeah. doing nothing about that person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I was thinking about how to apply the crucial conversations to a dental office, I think a, a lot of the, the time uh, doctors and team members miss the opportunity to, to speak up when they see a problem, when they see uh, the health needs of, of one of their patients in the chair or in the practice. Could you give... Um, how, how does this start? How, do, how can they start having more crucial conversations? Well, the, the, the first challenge, of course, is a motivational one. It's, it's, you know, if I have this anxiety and all these reservations about speaking up with you, how do I calm those? You know, how do I get myself to a better place to talk from? And uh, what, one of the things that's helpful, that's helpful for me in that regard is to change the way I do a, a threat assessment in my mind. Usually when we're not speaking up, it's because the question that's, that's plaguing me is, what are the risks of speaking up? I create these horrible mental images about how angry and defensive you'll be and about how hurt I'm going to be and you're going to reject me or there's going to be conflict in the office for the next three months or whatever it is, right? And so I, I present these images to myself and of course you're not going to feel motivated to speak up because that's the only, op the, the only you know, uh, consequence that you can picture. So, so we tend to think about what are the risks of speaking up? Those who are really good at this tend to reverse the, the risk assessment process. What they do is they start with a question of what are, the risks, what are the risks of not speaking up? And make those vivid pictures for yourself. Think carefully about it. What is absolutely positively going to happen if I don't speak up? Well, first of all, that person's gonna to continue to behave that way. They're gonna to continue to alienate patients. They're going to continue to create conflict in the team. They're going to continue to waste supplies. They're going to continue to just think about that and make those vivid, clear, tangible mental pictures. What are the risks of not speaking up? Then it's okay to ask the second question, and what are the risks of speaking up? Now you're doing a rational assessment. What you and I usually do is think about the risks of speaking up and never think about the risks of not speaking up. So we're lying to ourselves. Of course we're not motivated to address the issue because we're not looking rationally at what's likely to happen if I kick this down the road another day. So that's piece number one, is affect your own motivation to address this as uncomfortable as it may be by telling yourself the truth about the consequences of choosing not to speak up. Okay, and now the, the second one is the, the second key is, the, is my absolute favorite. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, then, then the next is I'm going to open my mouth, right? So I'm, I'm actually going to make contact with this human being that I want to have a real and authentic connection with. I want to address this issue. The, the, the next thing is to create the right psychological conditions for the conversation. And that happens with what we call making it safe. you got to make it safe. 
Now, the problem is most of us think making it safe happens by compromising our message, by watering it down, by saying, hey, this is no big deal, or, you know, hey, this is a little bit of what I want to say, or you got a small <laughs> problem. And if the truth is that they suck, right? If the truth is that, that I probably don't want to employ them anymore if they can't fix this, then the important thing is that that message gets across or you haven't done truth and you aren't really connected and you're faking it. And the problem is you in the organization, not them. You're withholding truth from them. Mm -hmm. so, so the question becomes, how do you create truth if it's not watering down your message? The way you create truth is by expressing love. Now, that doesn't in a professional setting mean I love you and all that necessarily, but it does mean that you help them understand two things. The first is, I care about your problems. I care about your interests. I care about your concerns. So in an employment relationship, that might look like this. You know what? I want you to win here. I want you to have a, a wonderful career as long as it is in, uh, in this organization. I want you to be respected by your colleagues. I want to feel wonderful towards you. I want to have joyful, wonderful connections between you and our patients. That's what I really want. That is what I really want. Just expressing that helps them to go, oh, okay, this is not somebody who, who bears me ill will. Now, they may still be anxious, they may still be concerned, that's part of a crucial conversation, but you can diminish that substantially by helping them know, I care about your problems, interests, and concerns. And finally, you let them know that you care about and respect them. Not just their problems, interests, and concerns, but you care about and respect them. In the book and in our crucial conversations training, we refer to this as mutual purpose and mutual respect. We have mutual goals, you and I and we respect one another. I'm expressing respect for you as a person. You might be blowing it big time here. You might be making some horrible mistakes that are damaging my practice, but you know what? You're a human being, and I see that in you, and I want you to know that I see you as worthy of civility and respect, and that's the standard I'm gonna hold myself to. You lay that platform down, and what happens is people heave a little bit of a sigh of relief, they open up a little bit so they can perhaps start to hear you, and now you can start to share your message. Now, there are a lot of ways to create those conditions. Sometimes it's just by smiling. Sometimes it's by expressing appreciation. Um, so you, you've got to find your own way to it. Again, as you read the book, you'll find there are spe specific kinds of strategies a lot of people use. But just know at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to create in them. A sense that Dr. So-and-so cares about me and my interests. And once you're there, then it's just like a patient in your chair. They're willing to open their mouth and let you do horrendous things to them yeah. because they know on the other side of this, something good's gonna happen. Yeah. They know they can trust you, that's safety. Very good. I, I, I laughed because um, the Crown Council runs a, a sister program called the No More Hygiene Program. And in the No More Hygiene Program, they're trying to overcome the idea that the infection in your mouth, it's just a little problem. The bone of your skull is actually deteriorating and until your skull disappears and we have to do bone grafts, now we got a big problem. Hmm. I mean, what they're, they're trying to teach is that there is no such thing as a little infection. Hmm. Uh, you know, being honest and truthful and caring about the overall health I love that. of the patient is, is way more important than, oh, I hope this guy likes me. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to upset them by telling them so. Hmm. It's a neat mind shift. Uh, for for uh, all of us to think about perfectly when, accurate when I'm not I don't know when I'm you know especially for a dad for a uh, it's applicable at home for yeah. sure yeah rather than me coming to my wife and being like listen honey uh -huh. <laughs> but you say I actually do I care this is why I'm telling you is because I care 
And uh, let me jump on that analogy too, which I, I think is really apt. Um, back to the, the first, the motivational principle, which is being honest with myself about what are the consequences of not speaking up? You know, what, what kind of a person would I be if I didn't speak up about an infection that was going to eventually take your skull, right? Not, not, not great. The, it, it's so important that we tell ourselves the truth first before we can even be motivated enough to tell the other person. What, what we know is that if you don't talk it out, you will act it out. It's going to show up in your behavior. It's going to show up in the behavior of the team. It's going to affect that other person. It's going to escalate over time. And so telling yourself the truth that, all right, my choices are not talk it out or not. My choices are talk it out or act it out. And what does acting out look like? And, and what picture can I give myself of that? Um, then you can say, what kind of a human being am I if I choose to act it out rather than talk it out? That helps. Very good. So cool. Um, I, I want to talk about other side here and how you apply um, crucial conversations to the to what this is. Yeah. Can you can you explain um, where we are and, and what the Other Side Academy is? Oh, I would love to, yeah. So I, um, Greg and Stuart and I are sitting here at the Other Side Academy. This is a 100 student school uh, and our students are quite unique. So they, they range in age from 20 to 60 years old. Uh, they've committed on average uh, uh, crimes that have gotten them arrested 25 times. Uh, most have served five or six years in jail or prison on average, many 10, 20 more years in, uh, in prison even. Uh, so long time violent, criminal, addicted, homeless, uh, people with the most broken lives you can imagine. What's remarkable is, and, and if we could give them a picture, it's one of the most beautiful places in Salt Lake City. And it's run entirely by criminals. Uh, we run businesses, none of them pay to be here. So the government doesn't pay, insurance doesn't pay, they don't pay. This is an entirely peer-supported, peer-run uh, peer program. And the students stay here for two years, and the way they learn to change their lives is just by running a business. So you think about the potential in a dentist's office to ennoble and to change lives, to lift and, uh, and elevate people. That's precisely what happens here. Work is one of the most sacred contexts in the world, if it's healthy. It can also be one of the most demeaning and damaging places in the world if it's unhealthy. Now, what determines if it's healthy or unhealthy? Truth. Just how long it takes for truth to come out. And if what I said earlier has any merit, that it's about lag time and how long it takes for it to come out, the lag time at the Other Side Academy is zero. So we run a moving company, for example. I would encourage everybody who listens to this podcast to go and look at Yelp or Thumbtack or HomeAdvisor and type in the Other Side Movers it will blow your mind. Because here's this organization being run by criminals. Now imagine this, criminals that are going into your house and moving your valuables, <laughs> right? And uh, they're, they're doing it in a way that is generating five-star reviews every single time, hundreds of them. They are the top-rated moving company in the entire state, run by criminals. And how in the world does that happen? It happens because when you've got somebody who's a slug on the job, who's lazy, who's being sloppy with somebody's stuff, who's got a distant sort of scary look in their eye. It takes about four seconds before one of their colleagues sees it and addresses it. It's addressed in a thorough and effective way. And that's what changes lives. The fact that their moral weaknesses are exposed relentlessly by people who love them, people who are going to give up on them less than they give up on themselves causes them to change. You start caring about things you never cared about before. You start being attentive to weaknesses that you would have been sloppy about otherwise. 
So the Other Side Academy for me is, uh, is just one of the most remarkable evidences on earth that if you create a healthy work environment, you can change lives. And uh, I am so interested in how you develop this culture. I mean, because part of Crown Council, our tagline for the company is creating a culture of success in your practice. So how do you train or how do you reinforce that attitude? I mean, what, what are there rules in place? Is there a leader at the top that, I mean, how does yeah. it work? Yeah, so, so first of all, there, there's a student, as you two walked in, there's a student sitting on the bench right now, or actually a candidate. So uh, this guy arrives from jail, and he's been part of a jail culture where you don't call anybody on anything, right? You keep everybody's secrets for each other. Uh, you're contracted up and in conspiracies all the time. And so it's remarkable to think that within 48 hours, if that guy gets accepted here, he's going to be holding other people accountable. How do you do that, right? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, the key is, number one, to make sure that the standards are clear. The first thing he's going to be told when he sits down on, uh, in an interview in here is we're going to expect three things of you. Pull people up, pass information, play the game. Now, that's our own specific terms, but any workplace has to have their same version of all of these. Pull people up means we expect that when you see somebody doing something they shouldn't, you are responsible to challenge them immediately. It doesn't matter if it's Joseph Grenning, it doesn't matter if it's a director in the house, it doesn't matter if it's an older student, you're responsible. And the fastest way to get in trouble here is to not do that. Making mistakes, you'll get corrected. But not correcting somebody who makes mistakes, you're going to get in big, big trouble if you do that. So we make the values clear also that the highest value here is that you care about another person enough and care about the people that that person is affecting that you're going to speak up even if you're not comfortable. So pull people up. And, what, and what's the response? What do they have to say? Ah, yeah. Very good. You've been here before, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. So if I pull you up and I say, hey, you know, uh, you're not supposed to talk to the women here, Stuart. Stuart's only possible response is okay in the moment. His job is to say, okay, because while we're on the floor and while we're on a move, while we're out here trying to get things done for our patients or our customers or whomever, we're not going to get into drama. We're not going to get into a big debate. So if I give you some correction, your job, okay. okay. Second, then, is to pass the information. Now, this is different in different workplaces, but if something corrective happens here, it's important that everybody knows about it. And that's important, too, because we want our commitment to be that we're transparent and open. We don't keep secrets for each other. So I don't just say, hey, Stuart, don't talk to the women, all right? You know, just keep it between us. If I do that, what it's saying is we're disconnecting ourselves from this entire system. We're keeping secrets for each other. And right now it seems like an innocent one, but that means that we're okay with secrets in general and they always get worse over time. And so pass the information, be transparent, be open. What anyone can know, everyone can know. That's how it works here. Now think about the corollary in a business as well. If there are problems with patients, if there are problems in the books, if there are problems with finances, in healthy organizations, we're transparent because it's all of our problem. It's something all of us need to address. If Stuart's having problems around the women, it's good that everybody here knows about it because that way they can be more attentive and more aware and they're helping you. They're not doing it to catch you. They're trying to save your life from yourself. So the third is play the game. And this is critical in any healthy work environment. You have to have your corollary to the game. The game is twice a week where we'll put students together that have all been working around each other during the week and they have a chance to more thoroughly address some of the weaknesses and problems that they've seen in one another. This can get pretty vocal, it can get pretty loud, it can get very colorful here. You've got to come up with your own ground rules in your own workplace. But having regular rituals where you clear the air 
to keep that lag time short, to be able to address concerns. If there's been some conflict between the people that are booking appointments and the ones that are doing the assisting in the chairs or something like that, giving an opportunity on a regular basis for all that air to get cleared. My goodness, it's amazing to watch here as a bunch of criminals sit in the very room we're sitting in and can be yelling at each other and letting loose about these things. And when they're done, there is a euphoria in the house and a connection and there's hugging and clapping on the back and, and they'll all go out and have coffee and donuts together and there's a lightness that you can only experience when all of the stuff's been dealt with because now we have a real connection with each other again. And over the next three days, we'll screw it up again and we'll have to restore it. <laughs> but games is how we keep the air clear. So pull people up, pass information, play the game. That's how we do it. That is so good. Any, any follow-up questions, Gregor? Any, any thoughts? How do, you, how do you transform that, um, that same philosophy into a home environment? Mm especially in an environment where maybe there's been 10 or 15 years now of poor communication and now we want to try and interact those or, or in the office yeah. and we've had poor communication, poor accountability, poor habits and, and now we want to try and change the principle um, when maybe there's some hurt. Yeah, yeah, that's a that, that's such a poignant question, and that you know the answer is truth and love. You know, the, the, and, and it always is. So it starts by if I gain greater awareness about the kind of pain and unhealthiness that I've helped perpetuate in my family, it's for me to start with truth about that. It's not to start with, okay, now I'm finally going to tell you what I really think about you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's me describing, you know, and I become more conscious of these patterns I've participated in. And here's my contribution to that. And I think all of us have played a role in that. So accountability. Exactly. Accountability Personal. about the communication patterns, not about specific content, not about beefs to start with. And so if I can at least come to the point where we can all acknowledge, yeah, you know, it kind of stinks the way it works right now. None of us likes that. It's important that we get consensus and mutual purpose just about the desire to change it before we try to change it. If you try imposing changes on others, they feel unsafe and they resist and resent. And they also are suspicious that you've got some devious motive for why you're doing this. This is a new power play for you or something. So taking the time to rebuild the trust so that everybody agrees that we want to move tentatively in a new direction is, is critical. And then second, coming to agreement about the process we're all comfortable with for, for getting there. You know, the worst thing in the world is I go read some book, even if it's Crucial Conversations. I get inspired and I say, this is what everybody needs. And I've got copies for each of you and I've highlighted the parts I want each of you to read in the house. You know, that violates safety. And so it might be that if you read this book, that that's not the one that they're going to want to end up using because they need to know that you honor that, that they get to, to be empowered in this process. And so involving them in, are there tools, are there resources, is there a therapist, is there, you know, whatever it is that's going to help us move in a positive direction. I don't care. I just want to get there with you. Um, so number one, mutual purpose. Number two, agree on process. Long before you start saying, all right, let's, let's do the airing of grievances now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there has to be a platform within which we all feel it's okay to now start airing whatever needs or to be safe. addressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see that. Um, I, I was thinking of, of, you know, being in a dental practice where 
um, honesty does not exist. And, um, uh, and we often joke about the dentist that runs off to a CE course and he goes by himself uh-huh. and then comes back on Monday morning and everybody in the office is fearful that oh, change no. is Here coming it comes. Yeah. Because, because it's going to be dictated from the <laughs> yeah. top down. And yeah, that's what you're talking about. That's exactly. If everybody's not part of the solution, then nobody benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then if, you know, if you're asking for a new level, level of vulnerability, the only way they're going to get there is if the power players go first. And so you're going to have to be willing to sit in a place of discomfort for some significant period of time to earn the moral right to ask them to do the same. Just by saying, give me feedback, you know, what did I do wrong today? What could I do better in the next week? And then showing that I'm going to take it seriously. Over time then, you earn the right to ask permission of them to say, I want to be able to talk with you a little more honestly too. And let you know things that don't work for me. Um, but me first. Let's work on me. Uh, Excellent. Well, you continue to be one of the smartest guys I know. You know oh my goodness, you ought to broaden your circle. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Thank you. Yeah, we could go on uh, forever, Joseph, but I'm, we're grateful for what you uh, produce, what you've given the Crown Council. We brought Joseph his own very uh, his stuffed eagle from this oh, morning. Thank so thank you. Keep it on his desk or give it to a grandkid, but Wonderful. we're grateful you for all you've much. done for Crown Council. And uh, hopefully in the future we can have you at another meeting or certainly participate in this again. So. I'd welcome the chance. I, I cherish the memory of the time we connected. It was, it was such an unusual thing for me because usually when I'm I booked to give a lecture at a conference, I'm flying somewhere else. And this time I got to go to Salt Lake City. Yep. And I thought, who are these guys? And the more I learned about what you're doing and how intentional you are about creating positive and healthy workplaces that don't just serve the patients, but that, that have an effect on the lives of those who participate, the more respect I've gained for it. And I want to thank you too for the positive and wonderful influence. Everyone ought to know that you walk your talk in terms of giving back. And what you've done at the Other Side Academy has been uh, no short of life-saving for some of our students as they've struggled and had dental challenges and concerns that needed to be addressed. So thank you. 